0: Let's get it. Hella black. We back in the building, baby. Two mornings in a row, you feel me? We out here. It's not going to be many, two mornings in a row to them, but we're going to let them know, you know yeah. that niggas is right before work. You know, I'm going to work <laughs> after this. That nine to five shit. It's that dedication. We appreciate y'all rocking. As you know, man, what is it? I'm going to let you do it. I ain't going to take over your shit because I don't even <laughs> know that. Like us on SoundCloud. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You know, subscribe on Spotify. Follow on Spotify,
1: you feel me? Give a five-star <laughs> review. If it ain't five stars, we don't want that shit, you feel me? But shout out to all the Patrons. You know, if you want extended content, patreon.com slash Hell like, Black Pie, you feel me? We, we coming in 2020. Hey, we, got, all we got new patrons for you to shout out. Oh, yeah, we got five Come new on. patrons last night, man. It was cool. I, man, one night, five new patrons. Man. I really I appreciate the support. It's kind of cool when you, you make money. Like, I was a little laying in my bed tweeting. I'm like, damn, I just made, like, $30 for hella so black. So that's what it's about
0: for you, the money? <laughs> that's what it's about. Hey, man, we
1: talking about black capitalism, you feel me? I'm man, It'd be all niggas, but I thought it was about the love and support this nigga I'm going to pick myself up uh, from my Jordans, you feel me? It feels <laughs> good when you can, you know, have people pay for your luxuries. Man, I damn near, like, if I just stopped buying Jordans, maybe I could
0: buy a house one day, bro. Shout out to the patrons. But,
1: you know, shout out to the new patrons. I'm trying to pull this shit up
0: right now. I know Carrie was one of them. Ray Ellis, Nick well, Pollard, Carlos Alvarado, and Michael. And then you said Aim Tan too. Damn.
1: Ray Ellis, yeah. Yeah. That's the only one I didn't. We might be putting niggas governments out there and shit. Oh uh, like, shit. I mean it's saying <laughs> on Patreon. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It is what it is. But shout out to y'all for coming becoming patrons, man. Type on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash hellblackpot. We in this thing, man. You know, we got a super dope episode. You know, I was talking about. Picking myself from my
0: picking myself up from my Jordans and shit, you know, picking myself up from my Gucci belt. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you wanna know why I'm really juiced for this episode too? Because like in the past, right, we've talked about uh, black billionaires, black capitalists, and now we have someone who can come on here as an expert. And you know, although we've always like cited information and gave um, examples, now y'all can hear from somebody that studied this shit. He can, and he's here to debunk all that bullshit all these fucking straight. myths you know all these
1: lies are just perpetuated you feel me by you know sometimes artists like killer mike and ti and shit like that and jay-z jay-z of course. Oof, man don't get me Love. started on jay-z but i'm I'm super juiced because i feel like all the time i'm asked about black capitalism or like i'll post some shit like fuck capitalism like niggas always respond like what about black wall street or yeah you feel me how we're supposed to Make money ourselves and the black dollar and shit. You feel know yeah. I me? Mean? So, someone I've learned a lot from. You know, in terms of like a lot of my anti-capitalism. uh Doctor Jared Ball what's popping. How you doing today?
2: Oh, peace. I'm as good as could be expected. Happy to be joining you all. I appreciate the invitation.
1: Yeah, we're excited to have you on this. I learned a lot of shit from you. Um, I know some of your YouTube shit, just around the myth of black buying power and shit. So, you've done a lot for me in terms of like my politicization and shit. And, you know, the buying
2: power and whatnot. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, the, the, as I know we'll talk about, I mean, the whole point of it uh, where I got started with the whole thing is, is in some way, and I don't want to sound like a cliche here, but in some way was, was starting off. uh, What, what feels like was, was maybe a few years younger than, than the two of you and being in constant meetings and, 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 everywhere from the most, you know, the most, you know, I guess, uh, mainstream political spaces to the, to the most wild left grimy, you know, all them brilliant, beautiful grimy off the record spots that nobody really likes to go to for politics. I would hear the same thing and this, this myth. And I was just, I was, and I, so I've been, you know, for the last 10 years really wanted to, to help just try to, if, if if nothing else, try to knock down this 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 one concept that's been been plaguing me and a lot of us for a long time. So, it's 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 an honor and a pleasure to get to join you uh, to talk about it.
1: Should I appreciate you coming on, man? It's, yes, it's sir. A super dope episode. Anything else about you? I know you're a professor. You know, a man. Oh I, yeah, do, I mean, in Should terms us, of what else you got going on, man.
2: As I always say, you know, I'm a, I'm a father and I'm a husband. And after that, uh, I am a professor of communication studies at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, and after that, you know, I was uh, born in D.C., grew up in the, the low class end of the planned uh, suburban community in Maryland, Columbia, Maryland, where we live now. And uh, right in between D.C. and Baltimore, for those not familiar with the area, and uh, I claim the whole area, despite all the the beefs, the territorial beefs between D.C. and Baltimore and the DMV and all of that. (laughs) (laughs) You might be uh, the first person I've heard embrace that. Oh, man. Well, I, I, I. yeah, I embrace, well that's another conversation. I embrace it uh, for for my own Pan-African philosophical beliefs but yeah. I, I recognize uh, that there's a movement that some of my dearest uh, brothers are connected to uh, within the city itself that are rejecting the DMV concept because I think quite rightly, uh, they're, they're making the point that it erases the original black and poor residents of D.C. and, and, and uh, sort of euphem- gives euph- uh, euphemism to the gentrification that has created the D.C., Maryland, Virginia experience. So, so I, I try to be defer- refer- deferential to, to, to those experiences in politics even as I would really love it if the whole region were more united as I know that's more of a, of a fantasy, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what's up, so you grew Uh-oh. up in Maryland? I grew up in maryland and um, teaching there too now or and i, in I teach area? and i teach there and i teach uh, in in baltimore uh uh east baltimore specifically and uh, um, and i you know i curate i mix what i like dot org and i'm at i mix what I like on all the relevant social media so people can follow up with me there at, uh, beyond this conversation if they want and at our website we have uh um, uh, a lot of content uh audio video written work from from a small sort of collective of us that have been doing this kind of work for a long time and uh, a great archive of of past radio and mix tapes that we used to do and and some other stuff so uh, you know it 's i think it 's a nice supplement to to the work you 're doing and to the to for folks that are interested in these kinds of politics and histories uh uh, we have a lot of stuff uh, including I just want to say quickly a lot of interviews with with a lot of legendary activists that don't get the love that they deserve political prisoners former political prisoners so I would encourage people to check that out uh, check out our org for that alone yeah
0: yeah and I, I think you're you uh the perfect I guess subject to speak on this just because based on like you know your upbringing right like you're not somebody that grew up poor and by, I guess, you know, like, you've been able to establish yourself, have a career teaching now, right? Like, so if you've been able to, you know, poor, be poor and grow up and make a living for yourself, right? And usually you hear people that try to go against black capitalism say, like, oh, you know, it's usually the poor motherfuckers that got something to say. But it's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, like, that's when I try to come back some shit. Like, anytime I tweet some shit that's anti-capitalist, niggas just be like, oh, you broke. And it's just like nah that's not the case like yeah I live in I may be broke for Bay Area standards but like nigga I, I make enough money to, to support and live on my own and I'm still here to tell y'all this is this shit bullshit yeah and I feel
1: like it's very rare for you know people from an area to also like stay in that area and then teach in that area so I think that's that's super saucy you feel me a lot of professors oftentimes, they ain't actually you know they may be black but they ain't from the community yeah. you feel me? Gentrifiers
2: themselves, to be honest <laughs> I hear you. I do want to say, you know, and again, I know this is not on our topic today, but I mean, it's it's, it's something that is, I think, important and doesn't get enough attention also. But within the academic community, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into where faculty end up and, and where they stay. Right. Right? And a lot of us are not able to stay where we want to stay. And in fact, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too autobiographical, but, but, and I've, you know, I've been somewhat public about this in some other settings, but, but I wouldn't be allowed to stay where I am if it were not for the fact that I had uh, worked to, to, and, and uh, gotten tenure. Uh, and uh, been somewhat protected, so there's been attempts to get rid of me as well, uh, which would have forced me to leave at the same time. So a lot of people will say, you know, you should stay where you're from and teach where you're from, and a lot of people will also say, you know, as I do, I, you know, Morgan State is the historically black college and university, and they'll say we should teach more at our HBCUs, and a lot of you know academics get get chastised for leaving HBCUs to teach at predominantly white institutions, but the reality is that that. For a lot of folks, HBCUs can be conservative and hostile institutions that that uh, overwork and underpay. So it's it's on the one hand, I get the, the the what people say about you know when they look particularly from the outside in in terms of academia, and they say, man, you know, you all don't do what you should do, and this, that, and a third. But the reality is, academia is a lot more of a hostile, combative uh, environment than than I certainly believed it would be before I entered it. And that I think a lot of people don't realize. So it's it's on the one hand, I think that the 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 philosophy or the general logic that you, you 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 express a moment ago is correct. But I do think that people should um, be you know take some time at some point to look more carefully at what goes on at these places uh, and how actually faculty are ended up end up being treated, uh, even at our HBCUs, which is not always uh, positive at all.
1: Yeah, that's a anyway, good point you bring up. Just, yeah. No, I'm hear you. I hear you on that for sure. I mean, that, that academic shit? I, I teach as well, and that shit is just.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's highly political. I it's mean, highly it's, po-
1: especially it's, as a, someone with a radical politic too, that shit is not set up for you to succeed.
2: No Despite question. No, no academy
1: I mean, oftentimes you know, trying to act like, oh yeah, we care about social justice, especially a place like you know UC Berkeley. You feel yeah. me? It's like praised as this intellectual you feel me radical quote-unquote space but it's actually
0: highly conservative where motherfuckers doing the bare minimum (laughs) like really
2: i mean it's 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 uh, again you know we we have to understand that uh these universities are 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 state institutions i mean whether Mm -hmm. they're privately owned they are institutions of the, the 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 state we're in and they function as such. And what I've learned a lot about is, is the power structures at these universities are, are often um, uh, more cloaked uh, and, and connected to, to, you know, anti-human interests than we realize. Uh, and when we look at, you know, the influx of uh, corporate money and the influx of uh, military industrial complex money, uh, intelligence agency money. Uh, and if you look at, I mean, you know, Morgan State University, it's public record. Uh, you can see one, you can see that relative to the academic community, you can look up my salary. You can see I'm, I'm woefully underpaid. I'm one of the senior, most senior and uh, uh, productive faculty who in the least paid, uh, but you can also see where the salaries at the universities go. You can see where the money goes, how it, how it skews to the top and to the right. administration. Uh, you, and you can start, and then you can start, go from there, see who's connected to who and what politics and interests i mean it's it's pretty deep man and and to the point of of capitalism and 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 black capitalism uh it speaks to and i know we're going to get to this the 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 whole goal of creating class divisions within uh all communities but in particular oppressed colonized communities like like black people in the united states so uh the the goal is to to create a situation where we will come out with degrees and and jobs and then go back to our communities and say just as you were pointing out, um, you know there's really nothing wrong with the system if you work hard. And you know that's why I always joke with my students. I say, I wish everybody would believe the mythology and just one day adhere to it um, and do everything that they say we're supposed to do, because I'm convinced that if everybody actually did that, by lunchtime of that very same day, we would be in full-blown rebellion and revolution, because people would realize that it has nothing to do with who gets up the earliest and works the hardest and puts on the best suit and has the right haircut and the right name. It has nothing to do with any of that. Um, And uh, uh, so even those of us who so-called make it relative to others in our communities, Uh uh, to the extent that we're not aware of that, we're just not being honest, and then of course we don't, we continue to perpetuate the mythology that allows all of this to sustain itself. So, anyway.
1: Like we're the special one, we're the special person who made it. And yeah, and like we deserve it. You know. And like we did,
2: and like we did it all by ourselves and 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 we did it you know uh uh as as proof and and testament to our um being superior to other people uh and better than other people and that's just nonsense. Um any you know so it's it's and it's divisive and it's misleading and and more to the point uh, of today's discussion, it, it makes it impossible for us, uh, or at least very difficult for us to develop the kind of political education and organization that is required if there's ever really gonna be the kind of change that I know most of us really want.
1: Yeah, I think while we're on this topic, I think it'd be good to kind of just dive in a little bit more to like how just even HBCUs can be like perpetuators of this like black capitalist myth too, right? It's like, oh, if we just go to school, you know, get a job, and oftentimes, like, you see HBCUs being places where, like, the CIA is heavily, just like a PWI as well, right? But, like, the CIA is recruiting, the FBI is recruiting, you know, to almost create this new, quote-unquote, black middle class, right? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's correct, and I think you know, uh, I would invite people to check out my my former colleague and 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 and, and friend, good brother, uh, Dr. Jelani Favors, who's written a new book uh, on the history of HBCUs, and you can hear our interviews at i mix i like dot org, and I would invite people to check out the book itself. But but the but most relevant for me was the section where he talks about the 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 history. Uh, post uh, civil rights and black power, really moving into the 1980s where there was a, where there was a concerted effort to redirect the funding to HBCUs uh, so that more of it was uh, taken away from the humanities and social sciences and redirected to the STEM fields, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math with the specific point of, of getting black people to refocus their energies on what would serve, uh, the military, defense um, uh, agency work, or just just the the normal f- uh, function of commercial uh, business in the United States, as opposed to entering fields that encourage critical thinking, uh, you know uh, you know radical thought theory, all those kinds of things, uh, and that this had a tremendous impact on redirecting the energies and the intellectual efforts of black people entering HBCUs over the last several decades, uh, making it harder for us to contribute to uh, intellectually to, to uh, uh, whatever movement work needs to take place. Um, so for those of us who have seen ourselves, you know, I come, you know, before you even get into Morgan State, in, you know, uh, personally, I come out of intellectually the Africana Studies movement. Uh, my, my, you know, some of my academic uh, training comes from that, the Africana Studies and Research Center, specifically at Cornell, uh, where, where, where under Dr. James Turner in that wing, of Africana studies, I and others were encouraged to see ourselves as saying, "You're not just here to get a degree; you're here to join the intellectual wing of the Black liberation struggle." So, if you're not, you know, already situating yourself to 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 say, "Look, I'm not just trying to get a degree or as many people, you know, uh, uh, you know, to an Ivy League degree or something like that." The the point was that you're getting the 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 really, for me at least, the most radical intensive. Uh, uh, you know, educational preparation possible in a, in a two-year period, at least, uh, so that you could do that kind of work. But then you get, for me, at least, you get to HBCU and, and or you start to, or, or I start to learn more about how, you know, the, the relationship that, that the, these universities, not just black, but all have to the, to the, to the country and to people themselves. And you see, there's really not uh, conducive to extending that kind of work. Um, so a lot of people don't see themselves as being the intellectual wing of a black liberation struggle. They see themselves as on an individual path to commercial material success. Um, then they drape that in, in what I think are fantasies and mythologies about this is what is good for my family and my community. And then that excuses basically all choices and and behavior that they, that they engage in after that. Because if you then reduce everything to, I'm just taking care of my immediate family, well, I mean, then it makes it a lot easier, obviously, to do what everybody needs to do and to reach, cer- reach certain goals. But it ultimately doesn't do anything to help the collective, which is why we see the collective still, which is one reason, not really why, but part of the reason why we still see the collective of black America where we, where we all are.
0: I mean, it, it better prepares you to contribute to the state and the benefits and the needs of the state. No question. No that, that point around STEM is hella interesting too,
1: especially I feel like as there's been this like black liberation movement, you know, we're in Oakland and shit, so all the tech companies is literally right next door. And there's always this big push right now,
0: I feel like for black and brown people to get into STEM. To integrate into STEM, yeah. Because I mean, for one, it's beneficial, like for money-wise, right? Like you said, like that's where all the careers are shifting to. But then you start talking about the connection to STEM in the military. It's like, nigga, when te- who, does, who does technology benefit first? The military. Right. <laughs>
2: I remember years ago, uh, uh, you know, one of the, the first leaders of AFRICOM, Africa Command, was General Kip Ward, who was a Morgan State graduate. And a lot of people were proud that this black general was leading the U.S. military's, you know, uh, control of, of the African continent. And there was an email sent to some of us, and, and I was one of them, that basically asked if we would be interested in, in applying for some funding and to do research for the Defense Department on how to better communicate the the goals of AFRICOM to Black and other communities and audiences around the world. And I just sent an email back asking, you know, is this something we should be not, you know, should we be doing this? I was just basically asking, should we be even doing this, much less running off to get, to get the money? Should we have a conversation as, as to our role as academics and Black academics at that and my emails just got cut off. I just never got any more emails. I wasn't part of the group anymore. And I never heard whatever ha- ended up happening. But this is just part of the process. I mean, you start to see I mean, we in, even in our building, we'll see signs for, you know, Lockheed Martin, uh, um, you know, uh, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, you know, giving, uh, you know, internships or or funding opportunities, Um to, to to students or faculty, uh, and this is all just part of the process, and it, just, of course, just gets us to attune our work to the goals and the needs uh, of uh, of the state. And when those of us start to raise certain questions, of particularly at a state institution that claims it's it's an urban a leading urban institute, uh, and you know, which has a lot of faculty and and administrators too. I'm not trying to say everybody, whatever is, but but a lot of people who are, are trying to do good work. Have their work sort of um, uh, subsumed beneath or 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 marginalized against this big wave of all this more popular and well-funded, uh, uh, you know, kind of I think um, reactionary kind of work. Uh, but you know, uh, so anyway, my point is just to say that these institutions are. I mean, and, and if anything, when I read you know Dr. Favors' book, I was I was really. Kind of blown away at this sort of obviousness of it when you look at it but it seems i mean it's a brilliant strategy and if i were in position of power and wanted to protect it this is exactly how i would do it i mean you don't have to have any aggressive statement you don't have to you know claim to be shutting down you know theory and radicalism you just quietly shift the money uh and then uh and everything just sort of follows suit obviously if you you know if if you can go to a young Mostly coming out of poor communities right here in Baltimore, black kid and say, you know, I will, you know, have this X amount of dollars that are, you know, for you to go to school on this, uh, you know, uh, uh, some sort of corporate or defense contracting budget. Of course, I mean, who's going to turn it down any more than, you know, uh, young kids are going to turn down big dollars to go play in in an NFL or NBA. Um, It's enticing and uh, uh, it's slick. It's brilliant, and that's the, the beauty of, of, I think, even as I don't like it, it's the beauty of the system of capitalism and its propaganda um, uh, mechanisms that support it. Yeah, and, and the theme I'm getting from this is just like,
0: you know, whether it's at a, a HBCU, at a fully black tech company, is like, just because it's black-centered doesn't mean it's in line with black liberation.
2: No question. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you, I mean, I know you all are clear. I mean, you know, we've had now at least uh, a nominally black president. We've had black, you know, figureheads. I know you were just talking about, you know, Killer Mike and T.I. are out there doing their thing. We have, um, you know, whoever, Oprah, whatever, you know, Sam Jackson, you know, whoever, we have all these people out here. Uh, we even have some black tech uh, millionaires and billionaires even. Uh, at least, w um, I don't know maybe one or two uh or close to it at least but but the the question is what value to the rest of us does that have? I mean, so you start off by saying, yeah t- on some level, I've gone from uh personally maybe lower middle class to maybe solidly middle class I don't know something like that, but we're you know it's, we're even we're still more or less check to check yeah but but uh 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 but what good has that been you know for the- for, for the, the collective, collective. like Literally. what value to you does that have that i got a promotion a couple years ago what what value to the two of you did that mean like did your lives <laughs> change i mean i mean it's, it's so it's absurd that people would say that and so, then it's for, that so trickle that's down, what I'm like, trickle down economics exactly Spike mean, Lee you know, got this new
1: movie so you feel me i'm gonna be good Or tyler perry got this new studio so you feel me my my pockets we see it in now. our city
0: day in and day out like i'm telling you right now of course throughout the years i've earned more money each year that has not changed the ways in which black folks can continue to be on the street in droves in houselessness in Oakland. Like, has not changed anything for the material needs of the houseless folks of Oakland.
2: No, I mean, in fact, the, the, the numbers I look at consistently show that the collective is doing worse uh, by the day um, and worse by an artificial standard because most of the standards are, 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 well, a lot of the standards economically seem to be based on where, where we were in the, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, so getting, you know, but that's an artificial standard because that's only an improvement from enslavement and Jim Crow and all that nonsense. So, you, you know, if you start from the worst of the human condition, everything looks better. But, but even from where we were in the sixties or seventies or eighties or nineties, you know, the, 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 the numbers on a downward trend And the last report I was looking at said by 20, I think 53, even though the country will be a so-called majority minority, uh, black wealth is going to hit zero uh collectively so there's there's i think an inverse relationship between the more we see promotions of uh promoted symbols of black wealth the the worse the the actual collective is is doing so um you know and as as someone trying to study more and more the the history and and application of propaganda i mean it's really beautiful uh and no community in the world has ever been more heavily propagandized than, than the united states of america uh, America's citizens. Um, and, uh, not even close. I mean, we have the most sophisticated and powerful propaganda system that has ever lived, ever existed. The propaganda um, is
1: so good that we don't even realize it's propaganda half the time. That's, like, the, I mean, that's what you got it, little kids it. playing call of duty. You feel me? And like having fun, quote unquote, playing call of duty. Then when it's time for war, they're like, okay, yeah, it's time for war, but their that's minds it. have literally been primed you feel me from military movies to (laughs) video games you feel me and 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 not just primed i
2: mean literally selected i mean the the (laughs) the pentagon literally recruits people based on their online gaming skills so i mean it's it's you know so so you know again i hate it but i I admit to being wildly impressed by it i mean the ability you gotta credit the devil
1: At sometimes like i mean the
2: devil is making some good shit like to where it's actually no a lot of us you know it's like and when you look at the amount of effort and money that they put in into to developing it, I mean, it's not, it's not that, again, it's not to demystify, or it's not to rather further mystify them that, you know, with, with, with silliness about Illuminati and all that kind of stuff, it's just, it's just highly organized groups of mostly white men who have spent enormous amounts of energy and effort and money in, in figuring out how to consistently develop and evolve uh, their methods of doing this. So, so um, on some level, yeah, you got to give the devil its due by saying, you know, they put in the work. I mean, it's not they're not they're not uh, mythologically genius and talented to be able to just wake up one day and say we're going to manipulate hundreds of millions of people. Um, and it doesn't always work perfectly. So what they do is they've they've developed, over, you know, uh, and are developing, I should say, uh, an ever evolving system to to better manipulate and target public opinion. Uh, and what we have now and you know particularly people g- growing up now your generation people coming up behind you uh it's getting more it's more and more difficult to identify um i think my generation was probably i'm i'm, I'm 48 now my generation was probably the last one to have really any kind of analog experience or to have any memory of a pre internet ex- experience um uh, you know, uh, to have any memory of, of, of anything other than what, it what exists now. And uh, not that, not that things were great then. I'm just saying that what, it's more intense today than, than um, even when I was a kid. Uh, so, I mean, it, you know, um, but again, I, you know, uh, maybe get into a little bit more of that as, as we go on in the next hour or so, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's deep, man. And I, and I, and I do think that people do underestimate, the impact of all of this on our daily lives um so it's always important to me that they be uh, it be highlighted as often as possible yeah so i
0: guess we can go ahead and dive in um can you tell us the logic behind black buying power and why you consider it a myth because you hear it all all the time now right especially like uh, in, in terms of like boycotting which i think boycotting definitely like you know still serves a role but yeah like so often you hear these people saying like oh if we just stop buying all this shit stop buying all these J's, stop buying stop drinking on a week or whatever stop drinking during the week you can get up out of poverty
2: so i i, I want to start by saying this that that i want to be very clear and i and i want to shamelessly plug that i do have i finally got the book done and it'll be coming out in the spring the myth and propaganda of black buying power congratulations um
0: yeah congrats on that uh,
2: no, thank you, and and I'm I'm you know I'm happy with it. Uh, we'll see if everybody else agrees, but I'm happy with it in that it, it has helped me to better understand what I've been trying to deal with for a long time, and 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 has given me even more confidence to say this that uh, I'm not making an, a, a a subjective or um, uh, you know I'm, I'm not making a subjective opinion. I'm not offering. Uh, even a a theory I am saying objectively uh, and scientifically that buying power is absolute mythology this is not Jared's opinion this is not you know um, Jared thinks he's you know figured something it it, it is it is it is scientifically uh, an absolute myth um, that was born and developed in the 19th century as a concept that is buying power Uh, as at least as popularly conceived within the depths of economics. I've learned that there are different definitions that, that save for another conversation. But in terms of how it's popularly believed buying power as a concept was developed in the late 19th century by the U S government and uh, uh, the business community specifically to figure out how to set and police wages of workers to make sure people are paid enough to not, actually better their, their lot in life, but to, just enough to buy the products that they were helping produce at, at an ever-increasing rate. And what they were noticing already was in any capitalist situation, and this is when we're primarily just dealing with white male workers, so it wasn't even, it wasn't even a diverse you know, labor force fully, uh, um, you know, to the extent that it is now, just within white male workers there was already this class conflict that was becoming more and more apparent and more of, a, of a, a, a more aware and organized labor movement of the time said, look, these government reports, going back to the very first one in 1904 that came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that it, 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 they were already saying, You're, uh, first of all, it was acknowledged, we're doing, the, the, the government was in the business community was saying, we need to put these studies out so that everybody is clear so that everybody knows exactly where they stand, so that we can moderate and make sure that wages are high enough to make sure laborers can buy the products and don't get mad enough to rebel. And from the very first report, the labor community was clear that the report was misleading and giving a false, fanciful uh, projection of what workers were being paid and what that money could actually buy on the market. So, buying power from the very beginning was only meant to be used as a concept to say this is what workers have, uh, are able to spend on goods that we want them to buy and are producing for them to buy. It was not about how much money they have to invest, to buy stock and land, or to become owners of the factories they worked in. No, it was a concept meant only to m- measure. How much money could working people spend on the products that they were helping to produce? Because if, there is, if, there is, if it ever falls out of balance too far and workers can't afford to buy what's being produced, that's where you have all the recessions and depressions and all the rebellion and all the labor movement unrest and all the strikes and all the this and all of that. Yeah. So they were saying to avoid all of that, we need to come up with these reports that say, here's the cost of living, here's your purchasing power, here's your buying power.
0: So essentially, niggas just took the word out of context, and they're basically well, it's, using it's, it for it's, like it's, consumerism too, right? So it's like, oh, we're well, just trying to make sure you're a that.
2: consumer. Well, what what I've come to understand, even going back from when I started looking at this, you know, more than ten years ago, is that what? And this is the argument I've ended up developing for the book is that what ends up happening is that after World War II, where you've had a, a brief moment of Uh, Black influx into a labor force that has to produce more for war, to make money for all the people that want war in the first place, Um, who then said after the war, look, we have all these factories that were making stuff for war, but we don't want to just close them and shut them down. We want to turn them into producing civilian goods. Well, what do you need? If you're producing all these civilian goods, you have to have civilians that can buy those goods. But if you're not paying them enough, then then everything collapses. So you have a massive propaganda campaign that develops. You have the field of communication studies evolve um, in this same period. And then you have the development of a black media journalism business class led by John H. Johnson and Ebony and Essence Magazine, who's, and Ebony, I'm sorry, and Jet Magazine, who says, I wanna work with the uh, federal government and the white advertising community to create a mythological reality about black people who are not engaging in civil rights and rebelliousness, but who are becoming advancingly uh, economically solvent and strong and becoming better consumers. So it's in his 1954, The Secret of, of Selling the Negro, that John H. Johnson produces this marketing video that helps develop buying power into the concept that it really is today, which is a a marketing tool used to attract white advertising dollars to black media outlets. And to do that, they have to promote a black market as existing to be able to buy those consumer products. So to do that, they start with the very mythological origins that I somewhat detail in the book of saying, uh, uh, black people spend X amount of dollars, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, black people earn X amount of dollars, so therefore they have that same total to then spend on products. And this got turned into a concept uh, of buying power that not only was a marketing tool for, for for white advertisement, to collect white advertising dollars, but to convince also black people that their condition was better than it, it than it really is. And then it became something that was Misappropriated by a lot of different people—people people that I love, like Malcolm X; people that that uh, I don't love so much, like uh, some more contemporary economists that are given a lot of credit for for making a lot of wrong assumptions, like Boyce Watkins; um, <laughs> people who I who I maybe am not seeing as an enemy, but just disagree with, like Minister Louis Farrakhan, or even people historically that I was deeply moved by that happened to just be wrong on this point, like Dr. Amos Wilson, late, great Dr. Amos Wilson. And my point in all that is, is that because the marketing tool, of uh, the marketing of uh, uh, the propaganda, the, the mechanism of propaganda, the marketing capabilities of both the black commercial press and the white commercial press that promoted this concept and still promotes it to this day, many people... Uh, across the black political spectrum have adopted this concept for their own various purposes with the misunderstanding that there is this pool of money that we're all misspending that if we all just spent better would, would do better for the collective.
0: It's wild. Uh, it's just yeah. like so many of us are walking around with, a, with like a very minimal understanding of just how strategic capitalism
2: is. I mean, well, my, you know, the, the 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 dark joke I would always make about this is is you know, I mean, they didn't you know enslave and genocide and colonize for nothing. I mean, it wasn't you know they didn't do all this work to just it, hand it let over. Let it go to out of a. Right, right Hell right no. <laughs> you know, so so now so the 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 now the part of the problem though, and this is somewhat what I try to to track in the book a little bit more is that that variations of this have existed in black politics since day one. I mean, there's the history of, of, um, uh, black business, black capitalism and black banking that goes back, uh, you know, to the, really to the, even before the end of, of, of uh, official enslavement. Um, uh, you know, I borrow a lot from the, what I think is a classic book found in, in George Jackson's, uh, the late assassinated George Jackson Cell, the myth of black capitalism by Earl O'Fari. Um, who really tracks some of this history. Uh, the more recent work from Marissa Barateron, the, the, the Color of, of Money, that really tracks this history. But there's been a long tradition of Black people saying, look, we have, you know, Du Bois had a version of this. Garvey had a version of this. Uh, Booker T. Washington had a version of this. Uh, many people have had variations of this before buying power as a concept became sort of concretized in the 20th century. But what 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 and what they were all misunderstanding, I think, and I'm arguing, is that we have this pool of money, and if we somehow redirect it to black businesses, those black businesses and banks will redistribute that money back into the community uh, uh, and making us all stronger. But the fundamental problem that 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 certainly links with buying power is black people have never had enough money to sustain banks to sustain businesses. Uh, the idea that you mentioned already with Black Wall Street and and other situations like that, where, where even without white in invasion and violence and terrorism, were, were unfortunately doomed to fail, not, uh, not because black dollars don't circulate long enough in the community, which is part of the mythology of how capital is, and capitalism works and how capital is developed and what makes money capital and what makes the difference between income, wealth, and capital, is that if money circulates within the community, it doesn't get um, uh, uh, invested and built upon on the global community on the global economy, which is where all the money we end up investing and saving in our banks, rather, or or, they, or, or all the money that that um, we use to pay bills and rents and mortgages ends up getting uh, funneled through whoever we're paying and put out into the global economy, invested, bet, and sometimes lost, creating massive uh, uh, depressions and and, and whatever we, we've all gone through or, or um, it generates a lot of wealth for, for the handful of people in those markets. And black people don't have access to the, to those economies, to those markets in that economy. And black people don't have enough uh, income and wealth and capital to invest in any meaningful way into those spaces. So having money circulate, having few dollars circulate among poor people isn't how you get wealth. You have to have the money invested out and expanded. Capital has to move. It ha- you know, That's the fundamental argument. I know I'm going on here, but that's, and I don't get into this in the book, but that's really the fundamental point about capitalism that is misunderstood and why people really should read Marx and discuss Marx, even if they want to dismiss him as Eurocentric, because. His analysis is essential to understanding how this all works. And his fundamental point about capital is if it doesn't move, it doesn't replicate itself and it doesn't become capital and it becomes stagnant and it dies. Capitalism itself dies. It it has to expand. That's why we have imperialism. That's why we have constant war. That's why we have constant, um, you know, planned obsolescence and, 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 you know, I mean, we, it has to keep shuffling and keep moving. So this idea of we need money to circulate in our communities, is is a misnomer and a misunderstood concept but my more point in all that and i'll stop here is that the reason it's misunderstood is because for so long <clears throat> and in so many different spaces it has been promoted uh in in the commercial presses of both black and white communities to such an extent and for such a period of time that it has seeped into every aspect of our our political consciousness uh, um, and it's never vetted. The numbers are never vetted. So that's another thing that I do with the book is look into how these numbers are generated, uh, how these reports con- make their conclusions, and I show that there's that they're spurious and there's there's no substance behind them.
1: Yeah, one thing I realized is that a lot of these black capitalists actually don't even know what capitalism is. So it's like they're so diehard around capitalism and black capitalism, but they're like, oh, let's just spread our money amongst our community, but that's not even going to create wealth for the community so that you're actually setting out to do actually is not possible
0: by the means that you have so you just damn near just a badass cat like (laughs) even though you believe in this system this shit ain't working yeah and we talk about all the time like in order to successfully thrive in capitalism like someone has to be the oppressed or marginalized group right so like what i'm understanding is in order for someone to like i guess be successful or to participate in capitalism in an efficient way you have to be down to essentially like contribute to imperialism and the role that that plays in global solidarity.
1: And or contribute, the Yeah, or even contribute to the own exploitation of your own people. Exactly. Like, shit, you can have a black business, but you're still paying black people a minimum wage. What makes that so different than <laughs> a white business, right? When you're the one getting all the wealth and your people are still workers. They don't have any ownership over the work that they're doing.
2: Well, absolutely. That's a, that's a fundamental reality. Number one, and then the, the other part of the myth is that if a few black businesses or black banks do well, then the rest of us will will will, by as you said earlier, trickle down, benefit as well. But that is, of course, not how it works. Right. And like one my, of the things <laughs> my black
1: bank <laughs> is supposed to just give me twenty dollars because I've been a member for
2: <laughs> for a year. <laughs> that shit ain't no. Shit and is gonna do. You feel me? The the banking thing is, is really fascinating. And I didn't get to, to get too deep into it in in, in, in my book, but um, uh, I highly recommend Marissa Baradaran's book for people who really want to get into it because where she really, or even they could check out her interviews with us uh, on our website, but, but uh, um, uh, or maybe I would encourage you all to reach out to her if you haven't already and, and have her on because what she talks about in terms of the history of these banks is and how they actually work, it's really misunderstood. And one of the points that she does uh, 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 raise that I've learned a little bit um, uh, more about from her is that it, when, when we put in our, you know, our individual deposits into a bank actually uh, are not seen as, as a, they're seen as a debt to the bank. They're seen as a problem that has to be served uh, by the bank. Um, uh, It doesn't make money for the bank. So 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 even when black banks tell us to 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 deposit our money in those banks, it really causes strain on those banks, primarily because, A, we don't have enough money to invest to save put into those banks to deposit in those banks to generate the kinds of deposits that those banks then have to uh, generate to invest on the global market to turn them into the kinds of returns that would generate money for the bank and allow it to um, redistribute loans and other uh, uh, advantages to the community. That's not, you know, so, so that's why we see black banks uh, closing all the time. And if I, if I haven't corrected the time I went to press on the book, we have the same amount of black banks, black-owned banks that we had in 1969 at about 22. And if you take all of the so-called minority-owned banks together and create one bank, that, that mythological bank would itself only rank uh, as 16th on the top banks in, the con- in this country alone, and still wouldn't even match e- any one of the top three banks that have trillions of dollars of deposits to work with. So, which speaks to the other point of all this, that the part of the mythology here is that uh, black people can somehow do what even white people haven't been able to do with their white supremacy and, capitalis- and reign over capitalism, and that is, to, to create a, a sort of classless society. So if we're saying we just want to be like white folks, then I would say again, look at white America, despite bro. again, appearances. <laughs> there's a, a lot of white, white poverty, man.
1: Going to yeah. a poor white neighborhood, you feel me? It's like, you see that shit, especially like hella up North in California. It's like, hell of poor, but you know, they got their make America great <laughs> sign oh, no shit, and they bind into their whiteness, but
2: like, bro, they still poor. And, and who, who could blame a white man for being so angry when he's been raised to believe that this is his country and he still doesn't have two pennies to rub together and he can then be told that this is all the fault of immigrants and Negroes. I mean, who could... That's what I'm saying. Like, like after you get over the initial self-defensive logic of understanding his position and you say, well, you, you could then say, but damn, how could he reach any other conclusion? I mean... Uh, uh, so that's what I'm saying. Like, and the, you know, so this is part of the problem with all the mythology, and, and the other uh, attendant myth that, that that I try to somewhat address in the book that that comes with this is that, well, we we have to be mad at all the Asians and Arabs and whoever are in our communities running these corner stores because that should be a black-owned business uh, as well. Um, one that denies the history of the government policy that creates that situation. It's government policy that determines. Uh, that, that for, for instance, the history of Chinese immigrants being told, you can only come to this country if you, if you uh, are establishing a business. Um, you know, so, so, uh, uh, and then they're given sort of uh, government incentives and loans and, and zoning benefits that aren't given to Black people to set up those, those stores. But as, the, as is the case with the store most close to me, and the cats around here would say to me, oh, this should be a Black-owned spot. It should be Black-owned... I would say, yeah, that's great. But I would also say, but look at the conditions of people that work there. Every time you go in there, it's the same five people in there. It could be three in the morning on a Wednesday. It could be two in the afternoon on a Saturday. That same five people are going to be in there and they're all in there trying to make money for the whole bunch of family members that, that, that they have here and back home where there's all kinds of crazy poverty as well. Um, so in other words, having that corner store isn't going to save the black community, even if we did own it, it's not it's going not to gonna save build
1: wealth it. either.
2: No, <laughs> it's not. And it's not going to build the kind of wealth that overturns the kind of inequality that exists in this country. I mean, it, even if you look at the mythology of buying power, um, uh, black people only have one eighth of what white people have. Uh, so, so even if you believe in what buying power is supposed to mean for a community, which which again people do not have correct at all, um, uh, it, we, we, you know the, the comparison still leaves a, a great amount of inequality. Um, and then finally, the, the, this kind of connects back to our conversation about HBCUs. The, the, what I've kind of come to to really struggle with, unfortunately, is that the biggest problem I think for us facing the, the myth of buying power is is that it's the Black commercial press, as I started off with, that not only helped create it, but is also involved in producing the so-called studies that claim that buying power is real. So if you look at uh, the National Newspaper Publishers Association, NNPA, which is the largest collection of Black-owned black or Black-targeted, I don't think it's all owned, but at least Black-targeted media, um, they're involved in producing some of these studies with, with the Nielsen Group. Um, and as, as I said a moment ago, and we could talk more about this if, if, if we have time, you all like, this, the studies themselves are, are really kind of crazy. I mean, they don't make any sense if you look at them in terms of what uh, people assume buying power is supposed to mean. Um, so, because right, that, fam- oh, that
1: famous number is always like $1.3 trillion, the black community. And when has. you read that
0: number, it's like, well, damn, nigga, if, maybe if we did spend our money the right way, we could maybe be free. What's up your... buying all these J's, <laughs> man? Maybe. <Come> <laughs>
2: Absolutely. And, 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 you know, and so what I have found, and again, like I said at the beginning, man, I, man I, <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, most of my adult life in some form of, of a relationship to some sort of activist endeavor. And, and, and I've, like I said, in every space I've been to, in every black public sphere I've been to, this gets repeated in some form or fashion buying power, trillion dollars, this that and the third but then I keep reading all these economic reports and I'm saying, well how do we have all this power if in fact our incomes are, are decreasing, our wealth is headed, headed towards zero, our you know incarceration is going up you know all these things are all this wild stuff is happening. how in the hell do we have all this power? And then it just goes against my basic understanding of how capitalism works that, that as, again, as Marx famously said, power is not in the, in the means of consumption, but in the means of production. So, so nobody has ever gotten free by, by spending. So I don't understand, you know, so as I started to look at it, I'm like, where is this trillion dollars coming from? And long story short, it comes from two primary sources. Uh, the main one is the Selig Center in, in, in Georgia, and the other is the Nielsen Group. Uh, and both of their methodologies—you have to, you know—I had to spend $125 to get the Selig report just so I could see it, and if I was going to critique it this heavily, I had to, you know, read it. And, you know, but so first they put, they put it behind a paywall, so obviously most people are not going to buy a $125 report uh, when the headline is just so juicy. Yeah. Um, but the long story short is there's no substantive actual material reality that that number is based on and even in their own first of all the Nielsen and Selle groups both admit so to this extent they're they're at least being honest they're they're saying these are not reports meant to measure wealth or income and they are they are designed to help connect the uh, white advertising community to black consumers so they're admitting that they're not trying to produce reports that are telling people, you all are really doing well and are comfortable. Now they, they, they say that but, that, but the way it's promoted, and even in the way um, Jeffrey Humphreys gives his interviews, uh, the, the main uh, producer of the Selig report, they, they, they don't do that, that, that reality justice. So if you don't actually read the reports, you don't kind of get the, the, the idea that, that these reports are, are what they really are. They're marketing advertising tools. Um, so when you read them, they're not based on anything. So they're based on what they, they, they say themselves. They're estimates and projections. And, um, uh, and they're all assessing how much money do black people buy on what goods are available to them. So in other words, they're not saying uh, black people have a trillion dollars every year. And if they wanted to, they could buy land or stock or just save it and do better for themselves they're not saying that and they're also not saying that they could buy businesses and start businesses and do that and what they're saying is they have they have these consumer dollars to spend and because these reports are not meant for me and they're not meant for you but they're meant for corporate advertisers They're, they're, they're trying to convince these advertisers to spend what is really about um anywhere, I don't know, three to $500 billion a year in advertising budgets that's spent uh, you know, uh, with everybody every year. So there's this huge pot of money that everybody's trying to get. And black, and black media is saying quite explicitly, you all, so when black media produce, help produce and then report on these studies, they say we have a trillion dollars in buying power and the black consumer is not being respected enough. And black media is not being respected enough um, by white advertising so they want to convince that they have all this money. Now we read the headline or an activist or a preacher or a pundit or someone trying to get a quick applause line or get a, a, a lot of clicks will say, man, we have a trillion dollars. Yeah. So get on my plan. So Farrakhan mm-hmm. will say buy land. 35 uh, Wilson. a month,
1: then you know, we'll, we'll buy our land back. And, like, first of we'll all, buy I'll our land our back.
2: Land. Uh, uh, you know, Amos Wilson, you know, I, as great as, as I think he was in many areas, you know, would say we, we need to redirect our money to black businesses who could then help, you know, uh, hire black people and then redistribute money back that, that way. Uh, um, any number of different groups, you know, will say, uh, you know, that. You know, the NAACP will say this is proof that 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 corporations need to hire more black people and be more diverse because it will help their their companies address themselves to this expanding black consumer market. Um, the Urban League does the same thing. Tavis Smiley, uh, uh, Tom Joyner, who just retired, spent uh, 20 years promoting this mythology. And in fact, as I as I mentioned in the book, was was hired specific they in 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 the, the statement. Um, from ABC Networks, when he was first hired in 94, they said, we're hiring him because he's going to help us reach this black market with its billions of buying power dollars. Um, So they were very open saying, we are giving this black man a national platform because he's going to bring us black consumers, not who are going to enrich and empower themselves, but who are going to give whatever little bit of money they have back to us white corporate world so that was so this goes back again to the point we were talking about at the beginning with hbcus that there is a tremendous class problem uh obviously it's not me who's who's you know first alerting of this but the, that that we still have a tremendous class problem in black america that's not being addressed um where black businesses black media elite black punditry elite will promote this mythology uh uh, uh as a way to 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 not only justify their own place and make money for themselves, but as a way as you start off talking about to chastise the rest of us. And that's why you end up with discussions like Don Lemon and Morgan Freeman had on CNN a couple of years ago, uh, openly saying, why are black people complaining? I'm here, you're here, we're doing quite well. Why aren't they? You have
1: they?
2: Oprah. <laughs> yeah. You have and Oprah.
1: It's, and it, it's wild how it's this black capitalist elite class right, that has participated in integration has been essentially weaponized by the white ruling class to do the dirty work of white supremacy,
0: right? So it's like- I mean, it's easier to pass it by if it's a black face on it. And it's just
1: generations and generations
0: of this like black capitalist oppression. I mean, it's really like predatory if you think about it. Like They understand our, our um, I guess, like our allegiance to our people, our, de- our desire for liberation. And if niggas can package it to us as, okay, it's you're you're the reason why you're in poverty. It's your lack of financial literacy, it's your um frivolous spending, you know. Can blame it on us so like look at these niggas these are niggas who have fully bought into the system this is why they're thriving you're not doing it the and right they way. got magazine spreads in ebony and jet <laughs> come on and then you got then you got like celebrities yeah again like constantly harping on this shit you see it around this time right like when it's around like the presidential race and you see motherfuckers they always use this as a time to endorse their candidates and talking about black capitalism that's where you see the killer mics the tis i seen like young jeezy sitting down with fucking bernie and uh it was it keisha bottoms from atlanta like this is where that shit fucking amplifies. It's like this, time. this
1: black celebrity slash upper class black folks who have been pushing this narrative. Cause right? they idolize these niggas. Yeah. Right? And, the, and, the, and, the, and they benefit from it too. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's it's Absolutely. no surprise that, you know, you find the history out about, you know, Ebony and how they have pushed it. And then now 2020, you
0: have killer Mike saying, you know, black people need to stop buying sneakers. It's always in the black rich folks and the black cool folks. Right. Like, or and sometimes it, they intersect. You feel me? like, literally Look, if, if
2: i mean it, I'm, first of all you you both brought up two things I'm, I'm very glad you did that i was hoping uh we would get to one the phrase financial literacy uh is is to me as abusive as <laughs> bro that as, shit I is mean, so
1: gaslighting
2: and manipulative oh bro God. like that shit is ridiculous it's like <laughs> if you just learn how to use credit places <laughs> the blame all on you like what Dude, like, man, that's it because to me, well, because to me, first of all, it's it's disingenuous because if we were financially literate, we would all uh, uh, be critics of capitalism and students of how this uh, political economy works.
1: And there'd be no police um, brutality and, you know. Right. Everything I mean, be that's right financially
2: right. literate. That's financial literacy. Uh, uh, you know, that's one thing. The other thing was this, this issue of celebrities. And I have a, a, a major problem with it. So I was watching Killer Mike and T.I. on one of the the the, 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 the you know, panels that they were hosting it's on complex con or something like that right exactly talking about yeah. hood, hood economics and shit but what bothered me what, what this is what really got me and obviously i, I you know it's clear I'm, i'll be i'm sensitive to this but but you know this whole thing of i mean get granted i you know I, I grew up in 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 you know i laugh all the time i mean it's suburban section eight i mean they literally you know columbia maryland is a fascinating case study on, on internal colonialism. I mean they they, they developed this suburb and and with sections of it that are are, you know, section eight for low income to, to gentrify Baltimore and D C. Uh, um, and it creates this, this it's a suburb. So I'm not trying to I didn't grow up in the hood, but it's it's relative to the suburb I was considered to have coming come from the hood. And and it's like when I out here. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's become a certainly Columbia, Maryland. If people ever look at the history of it, 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 it definitely became a model. I don't know to what extent it, it reached uh, Antioch or anywhere else, but it definitely was used as a model since the '60s and '70s uh, for how to plan a city in this country, and it still gets rewarded for how it did it. And it's a beautiful way of hiding race, <laughs> race, and 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 uh, 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 class segregation. Um, but anyway, but 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 I say that to say that. Um, uh, 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 the, 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 the idea was, you know, uh, that, that TI, I think was the one that said this, he said, you know, um, he was making a point about, uh, how, you know, activists, you know, people want to come to the hood and tell people from the hood how to be, you know, and like, if you're not from the hood, you, you don't have the right to talk about the hood and you don't have the right to, 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 you know, try to, you know, have that position. And I, and I always, you know, tend to agree with that. But, the, but it occurred to me, I was thinking, but you all are up there on a panel about activism and economics, uh, about black politics, black activism and economics. And I was thinking, where are your credentials for that? If I can't come to the hood, and talk about what the hood needs to do why do you get to come to talk to me and tell me what what activism and and economic analysis should look like because i'm saying just because when you're saying when ti was saying you know, you know y'all on you, know, you 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 weren't on the block when i was slinging this and okay i wasn't on the block while you were slinging whatever you were slinging but you were also not in the study groups that i was in you were not in the activist meetings in the groups or the organizations that i've been associated with you have not been uh, um, to the study groups and the training sessions, and never mind the the official institutional academic training, uh, which in my version was 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 exactly what I think we need. But but in terms of uh, the, the the grassroots, I'm like you. I didn't see either of you, and I've been in stuff all around the country for years. I didn't see either one of you, so I'm like, why? So so where are your credentials? But again, they are. And this is somewhat uh, I try to talk about in terms of the history of buying power as a concept uh, as it's associated with black capitalism. What they are a part of is the promotion uh, by certain more powerful elements, mostly white, of course, that that want these discussions to be held within a certain context. So if you remain within the confines of the Democratic Party and you go no farther left than the Democratic Party, then you can be in the conversation. So Killer Mike can get up there and use all of his credentials and TI and all his hood credentials to talk to a primarily white audience. That's the other thing that was bothering me, that I know that their audience is primarily white, as black as they may be and as black as that event may have been. Their real audience is white, which is why they end up talking about um, the kind of economics they talk about and the politics that they end up supporting. Um, uh, uh, so, so, So... but their credentials are never questioned because I guess once you're from the hood, anything you say or do that's referencing blackness can go unquestioned. And I, mean, I think that's another part of the too, problem. Right?
1: Yeah. They're celebrities and they have money. So I know Delincey talks about this shit all the time. It's like, if you have
0: money, you are automatically put into this quote unquote thought leader. Yeah. Like fame and money automatically just align you as an expert of all things like nigga.
1: Them niggas have had money for a, a longer time. You feel me? So it's like, are they
2: in the hood like they used to be too at the same time? Oh, I can't imagine that they are, but but the other part of it, the, the other part that they're not honest about, and none of us really, myself included, are fully honest enough about, uh, uh, although I did admit a, a while ago, we more or less live check to check, um, uh, is that is, is really what, what our lives are like. Like they say they have money. Now again, relative to, to the average worker, average person, obviously, in the communities they come from, they do have money, but they don't have money money. You know, I used to think Jay-Z was at least honest when he said, like, I'm trying to get to Warren Buffett because I don't really have the money I think that I really means much. Or when Russell Simmons used to talk about, you know, I don't like either one of them, but when I thought they were at least being honest when Russell Simmons used to say, like, I was on the plane with, with Warren Buffett and everybody, all these white, rich billionaires, and they're talking about how famous I am, and I'm talking about how I want to be as rich as they are. Uh, uh, But, but, you know, so in other words, in terms of their relative position to actual wealth and power, they're not very honest Uh, um, or they're not depicted uh, by others as being very honest in the sense that they're offered up as as examples of what the rest of us can do. Uh, You know, like when Morgan Freeman sits up there with Don Lemon and says, I'm, you know, this successful actor. Why can't everybody else be successful? And then, you know, my initial laughing joke was because you took every black role that existed before <laughs> Sam Jackson. So what brother, who else can get a job? Who is that? You know, anyways, He took, I mean, he took like,
1: every old nigga role for sure.
2: I mean, for sure. I mean, he and he took every magic Negro role uh, uh, before, you know, uh, Will Smith started getting some of them. And 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 then uh, they developed, you know, Kevin Hart is as, as, as the latest version of it. But, you know, but the point really being that if you're being honest, you would you would say, look, 99 percent of the members of the Screen Actors Guild um, report uh, unemployment. You know, so only one percent of the people who claim to be actors actually survive on the, you know, on acting as their primary job. So you should say that and have that one percent. How many of them are black? Um, The last time I looked, one of my favorite things I looked at some years ago was that a study that showed that in the in the uh up until i think 2000 and certainly in the 1990s uh it was like 40 percent of all hollywood films starred just seven white male actors so it was like even in white among white people and white men there's only a handful that are actually working as actors so in other words my point is if we were more honest we would be we People would be saying, "Yes, I have appeared to 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 I may have appeared to some to have reached a certain level, but we all have a lot of work to do because where I am is nowhere, and it and it can't help you." Um, you know, I look. You know, I, uh, look honestly. I a, a, a real good friend of mine came to me a couple of days, a um, couple months ago, asking for some help, and I was like, "I can't help you." And I know to him, he's looking at me from the outside, saying, "How the hell you can't help me?" Like, like how? And I'm saying, "But I really can't. I really don't have." I really don't have any money. I don't certainly have been the money that you would need. Uh, and I definitely don't have the kind of money that the rest of our family would need or that, that you two brothers would need or your families would need. Like we don't have enough to go around. So, you know, before I forget and before we run out of time, I want to say this is why I think that to the extent that anybody wants to make uh, overt, uh, uh, so-called legal, more or less professional activists, uh, endeavors, I think all of them need to be addressed to the the twenty trillion dollar annual GDP of the United States. And just to quickly connect that to buying power, one of the things we often hear is that that black people, if you took black people's buying power and compared it to other countries, we would be in the top fifteen or so. People say all the time of you know and compare. They say, and in fact, bankers don't even understand this. As, as I debated the head of industrial bank, the black owner of the industrial bank here in D.C. He said, our, our buying power is our GDP. And I tried to explain him. You don't even understand. I'm trying to be more respectful than this, but you don't even understand what GDP is.
0: And you a whole like, ass banker.
2: Bro, we talked about this yesterday. you're a banker.
0: Just be throwing words out.
1: People throw out GDP and capitalism. Like, and, like,
2: do you know what that actually and means? And no interest loaning, bro. brass so I, was, I mean, that's what I'm saying. So I was like, well, I said, so I said, but that's not I said, but GDP is the value is, is the, the cumulative value of all the, the, the money wealth created for all uh, um, on all the goods and services purchased in the year. And it's really a, a, a marker of how much wealth is created for the people who own those goods and services. It has, and, and GDP is never used to explain inequality within a given country because it can't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it, it, so economists all know you can't use GDP to assess the condition of people within a country. Uh, and GDP really only tells you how much money the rich are making. So the, so as I'm saying, the, the, instead of saying we should target the $1 trillion of mythological money that black people don't have, we should actually, we should target the actual gen, gross domestic product that is actually generated every year in this country by all of us. Every time we pay a bill or go shopping or, or whatever we do with our money, we generate this $20 trillion or so every year. My question is, where is all that money going and why isn't it redistributed better so that nobody has any questions about anything? That way we don't have to. And again, I, I'm happy to be criticized as a tactic, I'm saying, uh, because you know, our reparations sisters and brothers are never going to get a country to sign over willfully uh billions of dollars just for black people. Um, you know, uh, and if we're uh, anti
1: capitalist too, it's like, no, what is yeah, a billion uh, well, dollars? You feel me? Like, if we're if, if our goal was to overthrow capitalism, like, why do we want a billion dollars? I, I no, you're right. One, I, one, you're one thing I have with the reparations.
2: No, you're right about that. And even with the solution so-called that I'm offering here, it it leaves open a lot of room for that kind of critique. Because I'm not even saying at this point to get rid of capitalism. I'm saying just say, let's start with this very simple step of saying, if you don't want to abolish capitalism primarily because you don't really know what that means, and we've been conditioned out of knowing what that means. So I don't mean to to chastise anybody. I'm saying um, for me personally, I've had to do aggressive uh, um, uh, autonomous, you know, on my own, not as a part of an educational process study to see how this stuff works to the extent that I understand it because it's never taught. It's it, you know uh, it's never discussed in media, it's never discussed <clears throat> accurately in most platforms. So to understand it you have to do but so I'm just saying take the, the very punk, soft step. That's why I was to be very careful. very safe, legal, you can use your electoral, whatever people, people want to stay with the Democrats, you can do all of that, but just make your argument that how are you redistributing the $20 trillion GDP? We don't have to have nobody, <laughs> white, black, or anybody, should be poor. Nobody should be begging for money for student loans. I'm still paying off my student loan. The only reason I tell people that I want to be referred to as a doctor is because I'm still paying for the damn thing. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I, if I, if I got to pay for it the rest of my life, I at least want to hear myself, you know. But the reality is, I'm saying like, none of us should be paying for any of this. Like, we've already. And then I, and I got this from a friend of mine who made this point after, after Katrina. And, and, and I was saying, we got to get some money together to give to the, these charities. And I was, you know, being real stupid, honestly. And he said, man, what are you talking about? He's, and, he's, and it sounds real cold. He's like, I'm not giving no, any money to any of these charities. And I was like, wow, that's, that's trifling, man. So, you know, he's casting, you know, they're getting flooded. He said, because we've already given. We have trillions of dollars of gross domestic product. We have, we have a federal budget of hundreds of billions, of trillions of dollars, what are you talking about, that are spent every year. Why are we beefing over what the Red Cross can give? Or why am I being asked at a, at a, at a, at a store to give an extra few dollars on top of my grocery bill that I can barely afford, uh, especially if I want to eat healthy? Uh, uh, um, why am I being asked to give a few more dollars? You're a billion-dollar grocer. You give that money to The poor. You know what I mean? It, like these are the kinds of discussions we need to be having. Instead of, and one of the things actually, I just very quickly say in, in the research I did for this book, I didn't know this, but uh uh the even the Nixon administration, when they, you know, as I know you all know, they were essential to promoting the, the myth of black capitalism. Uh that said was a, Can a you say that one more
1: time? <laughs> President Nixon, right?
2: Oh man, I mean, Richard Nixon War on
1: Drugs, co intel pro Nixon, right?
2: Oh Same man. Person? war on drugs war on poverty which they even just admitted a couple years ago was specifically meant to target the anti-war left and black people specifically it had nothing to do they even admitted that joint but niggas ain't Um,
0: that up when they're talking about black capitalism
2: no i mean but 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 nicks i mean he was he was very clear black power can't be defined by stokely carmichael and them radicals it has to be defined along the lines of black capitalism and black electoral politics. So he was very clear: black capitalism ain't going to work, and that's why we need to promote it so that 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 Negroes don't become radicals. So anything very white and,
0: people is promoting in, in the name of black liberation, you should definitely look at it with a grain of salt. Period.
2: No question. But even his black business capitalist appointed uh, uh, um, uh, committee, uh, which which by our standards would be very conservative, even they said immediately: black capitalism is a myth. Black capitalism is a fantasy, and they were even saying we need to target the government uh, buying power to be redistributed to our companies and our communities for us to do better. This idea, so even they were more clear than we are today about what buying power means and where uh, what we should be targeting with our movement activity. They were more clear and saying today we don't even have those discussions, and in all the 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 reflection and looking back at the black press that I was doing for this project, I'm seeing all they, there is almost no criticism of buying power or black capitalism. There's no, uh, uh, um, discussion of really what these things mean. And in my few encounters where I was asked to be interviewed for these pieces, one of which was erased and disappeared from, from the, the black press website. Uh, they, they re, uh, um, uh, either leave out my comments all together or they re uh, quote me, misquote me to, to make it seem like I'm supporting. So even in the, in the black press and the, the white commercial presses, um, they distort the conversation even when a critic like me is invited to engage the conversation. They just distort or, or cut out the comments. So there's no real discussion of how any of this stuff works. Um, or, or, or even the histories of the critiques of them. So, like, they'll say, uh, you know, well, Garvey and and Booker T did black business, and even Du Bois advocated that that uh, the black consumer dollar be redistributed at one point in his his lifetime. And of course, then they ignore all of the first of all the politics. You know, uh, uh, to say that Garvey, Du Bois, Booker T. And others who engage in variations of this had the same politics or goals or understandings or hopes for their projects that that black businesses and black bankers have is one misunderstanding, obviously. But another is that all of the criticisms of their efforts get ignored. All of the the the, the shortcomings of their efforts get ignored. All of the, the you know even even Amos Wilson quotes Du Bois in in his legendary blueprint uh, Blueprint for Black Power, but he quotes a Du Bois in 1940, not the Du Bois of 1960. So people it's, love it's, to
1: forget about Du Bois. Like, they'll praise him for his, like, talented tenthship, but don't forget that he died a communist.
2: And they forget that in 1948, he came back with that speech uh, where he called for the guiding 100th, because he said the talented tent sold us out. He was like, I didn't tell you to become a talented tent so you could go off and live in your bougie communities. I thought you that you would make some weekend. money and help your people. Yeah. So he said we need an even smaller group that will actually live up to what I was talking about. So he was pissed at them too. So he's like, you know, again, these are one of the consistent um, criticisms of all of our most radical uh, leaders, regardless of what we might think of each of them as individuals, almost all of them had a consistent critique. One of them was capitalism don't work and uh, the black bougie uh, you know, elite within our communities are taking advantages of all of our uh, efforts here. Um, and then of course they had that special critique for white liberals, but but, you know, but within the black community, all of that gets ignored. So there's, so my point is for 25 years, Jeffrey Humphreys and the Selig Centers had been promoting with the help of the Nielsen Company, this idea of buying power. And for 25, in the modern version of it, I'm saying, and for 25 years with a consistency of hundreds of references a year and, and countless other references that you can't document that we've all heard in activist meetings and, and pulpits and radio shows and blog posts. You know, buying power is just regurgitated without anybody vetting where it comes from uh, uh, or what it could actually mean or what it actually does mean or or obviously the shortcomings of it. Uh, because finally, obviously it's easier to say, you know, to, to promote a, a tactic for liberation that is uh, based in shopping and not based in, you know, grassroots radical uh organizing (laughs) and study and revolution
0: yeah yeah um so we kind of touched on it uh a little bit earlier when we talked about like the killer mics and jay-z's and ti's and jesus and all that shit. but in reference to hip-hop what do you think caused the shift from it being like you know a super anti-capitalist genre when you had artists like you know pac dead press um nwa public enemy to now having some of his biggest artists not not only like fully embracing it, but damn near like championing and promoting it. You know, like we've seen um, what like folks talking down on poor people. Like that's kind of like a common discourse on that on Twitter and shit. You'll see like, you know, motherfuckers is basically blaming poor folks for being poor. And then you've had situations where we have these artists as of late. And it's kind of like the new generation of artists. I think like niggas that are my age, like throwing money at, at poor folks. Like there's been two incidents where there was an artist by the name yeah. of Oh, you saw that?
2: Yeah, I did. It was gross.
0: Yeah, and it's just I think it's like really just a, a um a clear indication of the time that we live in, especially what you know with the hip hop genre, as far as like niggas shifting from it being anti capitalist to yeah, like fully championing this shit. And then and then the and in the process just being completely disrespectful to poor poor black folks.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you- you know, Kwame Nkrumah once said that capitalism practiced at home is domestic colonialism. And, you know, so that's why I've always promoted and advocated the, you know, colonialism or internal colonialism, you know, framework for, for analyzing you know, the condition of black people here. Uh And when you look at hip hop, that's exactly what happened. And just like anything else, it was, a colonized people produced a, uh, a product that would eventually itself become colonized. And as Fanon said, the goal in the colonial situation is not to kill the culture of the colonized, but to distort it and have it uh, ossified in a colonial form and use, as he said, to always testify against the the very people that produced it. And that's what hip hop has come to to mean in this commercial form, that is. So I always like to remind people that that today, more than ever, you can get a wider variety of, of radical, progressive, or just fun hip hop and music produced by people all around the world. There's more of that available than ever. It's just harder to get to than ever. And it's, it's far less promoted than ever. And it's, it, it exists all against the, mo- the most heavily promoted uh, commercial product we've ever seen in, in history uh, um, uh, in, a, in a context that is extremely controlled. So what ends up happening, you know, I don't think, is, as others have pointed out, there's no coincidence that the so-called golden age or golden era of hip hop, Uh, in the mid 90s dies at the time of the telecommunications act of 1996 signed by you know tony morrison's uh, first black president uh, and bill clinton Uh. that allowed fewer (laughs) well that's what she called you know that's what he got credit for. we we make that
0: joke all the time
2: (laughs) yeah oh my bad bad. good yeah i'm glad we
0: make we make that joke all the time
2: (laughs) but 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 what they did was just allow fewer people to own more of the product. So if you just look at the process of how art becomes popular and you just look at the mechanism of uh, the outlets being owned, the consolidated ownership of of not only radio uh, and television, but but now today, of course, of uh, uh, Internet providers like Spotify and iTunes and all of them. And if you look at their consolidated relationship with the music industry and as even Rolling Stone pointed out again recently, the most powerful men in the music business are rich white men from europe that have nothing to do with hip-hop or 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 blackness at all so um so if you just look at the process so how how does the music we like end up being promoted to us well either sony primarily or universal music group the biggest companies music companies in the world uh which by my last estimate probably needs to be updated you know uh, universal music is only 14 percent of its parent company vivendi and Sony Music is only six percent of Sony's overall operation. And Len Blavatnik, that owns Warner Music, you know, through Access Industries, that's only about one percent of his overall operation. So then, for me, the question is: If it's obviously not all about money, why are they interested in owning what becomes the popular commercial art, not only for Black people but the the really the entire world? Well. I make the argument that it's part of the colonial process of managing public opinion, managing dissent, managing image. And if you can redirect just by determining what music gets purchased, what artists get signed, paying the payola that, that allows songs to get placed higher up on YouTube or, or, or Spotify. And by the way, YouTube music is not only the, the, the largest um, um, music disseminating entity in the world right now, but it's now its music department is now run by the same uh, uh, white boy who was who was the bane of of of, of hip hoppers for decades, Leo Cohen
0: yeah. uh, or
2: Liars. He's been called Cohen um who Freddie fox with you know whose nickname bumpy knuckles is still my favorite mc nickname uh you know once said he needed to run up on and punch him in the face do something like (laughs) like this is this dude so it's like wait a minute in this new media space we have the same old white man controlling who gets most popularly placed on on that platform well obviously then you're going to want to promote content that's uh uh got more or less mindlessness in terms of the 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 content it promotes uh uh products being sold you know references we just did a study with my class this past semester and every song on the top 10 in their rotation everything that they had at least 3 to 4 commercial product references and all of them had anti-woman references even in songs by women so <laughs> so so it's like well on the one hand, it's easy for as many people do to say, well, this is just what we do and this is just what we produce. So we produce what people like and that's that's the nature of the business and blah, blah, blah. And they just produce what we'll sell and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's all wrong. I think we buy what we are marketed. We buy what we are conditioned to want. We, and what and as uh, Theodore O'Dorno said decades ago, we confuse like and recognition. So we, we think we like something just because we recognize it. And how do we recognize it? Through the sheer process of propaganda and marketing, heavy rotation and promotion. Um, in the same way we're taught anthems and school pledges of allegiance, we're taught to like music and certain TV shows and certain performance. Um, and, and then we're encouraged to dismiss it as entertainment. And this is why, you know, even if you go back and look at what the intelligence agencies have said for, for, in their own documents, um, the predecessor to the CIA, the OSS, has a famous or not famous enough 1943 memo where they said films are the best delivery mechanism for our psychological warfare. I mean, they're writing this stuff. So it's like, you know, and then they start talking about where are we going to put black people in these films and how are we going to start placing to promote certain images and promote capitalism and promote Uh, uh, you know uh, success and progress all of this has been meticulously worked over for for many many decades uh, with you know spending billions and billions of dollars testing us over and over and over again surveilling our every click our every move so they can promote a world to us that will make us you know uh, comply Um, so so hip-hop just became a uh, you know portion and as i often like to point out too if you look at the fifth tenet of the counterintelligence programs directive to black America they were very clear we have to make black youth not want to become black militants and we need to develop any I think they said any number of any measure of plans or operate to to, to develop that that conclusion so I say all that to say there's no one-to-one link that I can point to or one-to-one yeah. clear piece of evidence but it to me it's pretty clear if you just look at the the history uh, uh, um, of the development of hip-hop and its commercialism and look at where we are today was in and look charge
0: at the- of it <laughs>
2: Who's in charge of it in the context, you know, of saying the, the uh, the context of people in power saying we use media as uh, atomic bombs without the mess and, and propaganda is the number one way the elite will communicate with the rest. I mean, this is what they're talking about. They're saying we, we, you know, propaganda, uh, Edward Bernays said must be deployed in every segment of society um, because he was clear that this is the way, this is the best way to manage people. You don't need guns. You don't need, you know, that's the last, you know, like, we, like with parenting, the moment you have to hit your child or grab your child, you've lost control. That's the least amount of control you have. So when, when you see the U.S. dropping a bomb on, on Iraq to kill an Iranian general, they're, expe- they're expressing their powerlessness because they can't get these people to do what they want them to do without bombing them. Um, so, so, so this is part of the method. So that's why they they start off with a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of TV, a little bit of film, and then if we still get out of line, well, then the police will come, uh, the political prisoners will be developed, the exiles will be created, and the assassinations will come too. Um, so, so you know, it's all part of that same process. And hip hop, and unfortunately, not been able to escape it, despite what many of its leading historians like to say and its leading uh, promoted rappers like to tell us. And and uh, and as I've somewhat not really jokingly started saying, you know, the fame of people like Jay-Z was only created and sustained so that they would be in place to speak out against Colin Kaepernick. And that's, that's how I think we need to look at it. Like, you know, that Jay-Z was promoted and sustained all these years, just so he would be available and on hand and ready to be whatever placed. Comes. <laughs> that's right. Because they know it's going to come. I mean, that's one yeah. thing you study. You study oppression. You know rebellion's going to come. So the question is, in what form will it take? And yeah. how will we manage it? Because we're going to keep oppressing them. So we know eventually they're going to rebel. So what are we going to be ready for?
1: Jay-Z was an uh, ammo in their bag.
2: <laughs> no question. And so, they had Snoop ready, too, right? They dragged him out to talk about Kaepernick, too, right?
1: That shit is just like, it's always representing itself time and time again. Like, they will always find a black person to, to do the job and that manipulates oftentimes manipulates a lot of minds, you know, um, of our own people, you feel me? And and their weapons of propaganda themselves. Um, but I feel like we've done a good job or you've done a good job of giving the history of buying power. Right. And then I think buying power assumes that you could essentially buy your, (laughs) buy your way to freedom, which obviously is not true. Um, but I think our last question for you is, uh, what does freedom look like to you? I know that's a, broad question, but what, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think freedom looks like to you? You know,
2: you, 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 when I knew you, I knew you were gonna ask that and, I, and I, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, that uh, uh, speaking of now more increasingly commercial artists, unfortunately, that, 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 that the quote from Asada on Common Song, where she's like, I don't even know, man. I don't, I, I don't even, I can't even, I don't even know, I can't even begin to tell you what freedom looks like. I have no idea. Other than uh, some basic vague concepts of of uh, not feeling like any of us need to uh, break ourselves uh, or stress ourselves to figure out how we 're going to sustain our lives you know uh, and and you know just to sort of quickly uh, this this issue of you know other people a lot of people have actually written quite beautifully on this subject. Uh, um, but the precariousness of being Black, not only just being Black, but being in the so-called middle class is, is, is traumatic. So it's, 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 you can say, sure, a few of us have made it to a certain level, but, on, but I would argue that it's no less, um, it's differently, I would say, stressful than, than just a regular Black experience, because part of the stress is how are you going to sustain it? Uh, So so even when we look at people that we would be critical of who are far richer than any of us and these including these, Including these celebrities part of it what we have to do I think if we're being honest and trying to be as reasonable and objective as possible is to say well Of course, they're going to make these decisions because they are themselves stressed They have to re. they you talked about replicating not only does capital have to replicate itself but star stardom has to replicate itself and to, to sustain stardom for a long period of time means you have to constantly uh, reframe and rebrand yourself in that moment as being valuable in that moment. So you have to constantly, not only you know, develop your talent and your skill, I'm not saying these people aren't talented, but you have to constantly be able to reform that talent or rebrand it in a way for the, that it will be seen as valuable in that moment. So that's why we see these, these long time celebrities like Snoop or Jay-Z becoming, or, or, or uh, uh, Morgan Freeman becoming increasingly conservative Uh, when, as Jay-Z has said in his own verses, how can I help the poor if I'm one of them, which is part of that myth that I'll get rich and then I'll turn around and help everybody else. But in the process of becoming rich, you become more conservative. You have to because you realize that that's the only way to sustain your position. So that's why Huey Newton talked about revolutionary suicide. And that's why people have talked about commitment and sacrifice because uh, the only way we're ever gonna make a collective advance is for, for people in positions like me uh and and other positions to be willing to, to to sacrifice and and in some ways unfortunately be sacrificed if the collective is going to advance and we're going to move past myths of well i made it so you can too
1: yeah you hit
2: that i know right. that's an insufficient answer <laughs> i'd like to hear what you yeah. all have to say or you know, i'd love to hear feedback on that because i really don't know man i mean you know I, that's why i started with that trillion dollar thing like if i I get it doesn't smash capitalism in its initial phase, but but I'm saying I would love to see if it, what 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 changes to people's concept of the of the world would occur if if that if those, all that money was redistributed in such a way that that nobody had to worry about food, housing, housing, health health care. Uh, you know, quality education, you know, people didn't have to work up and think that I got to stress myself to get to work or I got to stress myself to constantly do as you know, a perfect job or I got to put up with an abusive boss or I got to put up with, you know, if, if what would the world start to look like? And I think from that initial basic, I think more or less simple, but also complicated step, we would be able to develop other kinds of solutions because I honestly don't know what it would look like, man. And I'm and i I'm so yeah. abused by this system too. Like, I I don't know... <laughs> If I say, look, I just want to sit around and play Xbox all day. Is that, is that, what is that? Is that freedom? Is that, is that an imposed, you know I mean? Is that really what I would want if I was a truly autonomous, free human being? I don't know, man. I don't know. So I would love to hear others, other thoughts on that. What I do know is, is that it's we can't get there. Right it with the buying yeah, power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like,
0: I, I think about this. I, I appreciate the answer just because I feel like whenever I'm asked this question or some, or we ask somebody else the question, we always feel, like we have to have the answers or we have to have like this actual, like this 10 step plan yeah, or like, (laughs) or like this is what it's going to look like, but it's like, we don't don't know that. shit. And then you also start even thinking about like, what does choice even look like when we've all been conditioned to all of our choices have been influenced in some sort of way. Like I've never made a free choice in my life. You know what I'm saying? It's like, how do I even know what it actually looks like for me? Like, (laughs) is my idea of freedom something that I really believe in or is something that's been impressed on been, um, yeah, something that I've got from others as I've developed this politic or based on my traumas. Like, I don't even know what freedom looks like at this point. I just know it ain't this shit right here that I'm, I'm not fucking with this. You
2: know, this yeah. is the number one criticism I get when, when I've presented on Buying Power all these years. The number one criticism I get is not that you're wrong or not that we think you've made a mistake. It's that, well, you've, you've taken away what we've assumed is as a solution. So you now have to have the perfect program or we're going to dismiss your argument. And and I get it, but I'm just saying, look, I don't I don't want to present myself as the all knowing savior. All I'm trying to say is I've proven this one teeny weeny myth as false. If so, so in that way, I hope I can contribute to to us, finding out what will actually work, because this is not the plan. This is not this is not this is not going to get it. Um, But I really don't know other than to say what Kwame Ture used to always say. We have to join organizations. Uh, I do think we have to get offline. We have to be in more rooms face-to-face without phones and microphones and take these, co- these overt conversations and have more covert discussions about what's really going on and what we need to do. Um, and and uh, I, beyond that, I don't really, I don't really know because uh, all the organizational work I've been involved with by my standards have failed. And I don't mean to say that as a, as a pessimist. I'm just saying we haven't figured out exactly how to, how to make this work or to sustain it, uh, and uh, um, I don't, you know, I don't like when I hear others in these spaces giving uh, what I think are false hopes and false um, claims about their own success in this in this struggle. Um, but you know, so I, you know, we just have to have we we have to have more people committed to the idea that we need to make change, and we need to be willing to do it in ways that are not often sanctioned or encouraged
1: yeah revolution won't be sanctioned that's for sure it definitely shit won't <laughs> she won't come with a permit <laughs> but and it's, no, it's not
2: gonna come with a permit no it's no we appreciate you for coming on hella black it's been a long time coming hey no i appreciate you and i appreciate you all developing this platform and being willing to have these conversations uh they're absolutely essential so thank you both very much
1: so you want to plug your socials one more time and then you got a book coming out too so you want to plug that as well
2: so yeah, absolutely. The book is the myth and propaganda of black buying power. Uh, it'll be out uh, hopefully sooner than the spring, but at latest in, the, in a couple months in the spring. And uh, there's a lot of content on that work at i mix what i .org, and people can also follow up with me at i mix what i like on all the relevant social media. And by the way, just real quick, for people don't you know, I, I, for first time time we talk about, it, I like to always remind folks that i mix what i like is not meant as an individual. It's meant as an homage to the late great Steve Vico, whose journalism he used to write as I write what I like. So when we started doing a lot with mixtapes and digital, you know, kind of multimedia, I, I thought it would be good to, to make a reference to that as I mix what I like, uh, as a reference to that kind of radical black consciousness media production that I, that I like to support and uh, think need, we need more of.
0: For sure, man. Appreciate you, bro. Yeah, thanks. I, um... I really appreciate this episode. I learned a lot, and I'm hoping you know. I think it's it's a perfect time for this because I'm just tired of hearing all this shit being uttered (laughs) left and (laughs) right.
1: Especially like all this shit is coming in the midst of like a Black Liberation, you know, or like a, uh, you know, it's Black Lives Matter. I have a whole bunch of feelings about that, but I feel like there's a whole there's a new wave of Black movement where we don't need this shit in the way of it. And then it's like this black buying power. You got the killer, you know, killer mics, the TIs. Everyone. It is like, all contradictory. Like man, go get exactly you, a, go get you a black bank and a credit card, and you know that's gonna start the revolution. So I feel like this episode really addressed a lot of those myths, and I feel like I'm gonna have this shit in my fucking ammo bag on Twitter when people come at me on some wild shit. I'm just gonna drop this
2: link. i ain't even gonna talk, <laughs> like
1: listen to this episode, then we could talk after that. <laughs>
2: Well, my you know my godfather used to say that 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 he used to do radio so that the black people at work would have something to say at the water cooler, and <laughs> and so so that's what I hope we've done here. We've given people something to click on and point to when whenever they hear this nonsense, and they will. Uh, I have buying power set as a Google alert, and I see it. So every day I get alerts, <laughs> and every day that joint comes out somewhere, and people are talking about it somewhere, and it's 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 maddening, man. So I, I just on a self uh, healing. Your personal note, I appreciate you inviting me for this conversation. I needed it. more.
1: <laughs>
2: it's all good. All right, man. Enjoy your Thursday. And likewise. Take care, fellas. Peace. Talk soon. Peace. You stay with Fred Hampton. Peace if you're willing to fight for it. So peace, everybody. <laughs>